Well, folks, this is Justin Bradford, and we are continuing our talk on hockey with another quick hit on the Russian Five, the documentary about the Detroit Red Wings. We have director Joshua Real joining us right now to talk about this. It's it's a fantastic documentary, and I, I cannot wait to see it this weekend here in Nashville. It's touring the country now. So, Joshua, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is really exciting, and it's one of those things that, yes, obviously Detroit Red Wings fans love it and are going to continue to love it, but it's one of those things with hockey fans because it changed the aspect of the NHL and the way we view the sport in general, too, with bringing Russians over to play. So I know this is a long project for you as well. It took a lot of time and effort to put this together, and it took, what, six-ish years for it to come together. What was that process like for you to put a project like this together? Oh man, it's been a uh, it's been a long journey. Yeah, uh, it'll be about seven years this fall um, since uh, I started the project. Just initially with just like you know writing letters to guys like Jim White and Jim Devolano and Ken Holland and Steve Eiserman and, and uh, you know I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. Um, I went down there for film school to go to the University of Texas at Austin. And Jim Lights was the first person to respond to me. And he you know, said, hey, if you're still in Austin, why don't you drive up I-35 to Dallas and let's have a conversation. So we did, and, and he loved the idea. He loved my pitch. Uh, you know, he told me there were a lot of people out before me that had wanted to do the documentary, the story of the Russian Five. No one had really seen it through. Uh, but, you know, he liked my energy, and so he introduced me to Jimmy Devolano and Ken Holland. And so, you know, slowly... Over the, the course of about a year and a half, you know, starting with Jim White and then finally with Igor and Sergey, I got kind of everyone on board to agree to do the project. And then it was, you know, time to find the money. And then <laughs> we found the money, but I moved back to Detroit and I met my producer, Jenny Fedorovich, uh, through a mutual friend. And then uh, she brought in Dan Milstein, who at the time was uh, the agent for Pavel Datsuk. Um, and so, you know, Dan saw an opportunity to kind of give me a chance to make my dream happen, but also to a way to, to kind of give the NHL, give hockey fans a reminder of the legacy of what these five guys uh, went through and did for the game. So, yeah, it's been a long journey. <laughs> a journey that's absolutely worth it, too. And so when you initially had the concept for this as well, obviously, Originally from, I saw Port Huron and everything, so grew yeah. up watching this as well, too. What was the inspiration, especially as, as you noted, too, others have had that idea, but what inspired you to take that next step to say, I'm going to make this happen as a project? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think everyone who's, who's thought about this has been inspired by the play of the Russian Five and their impact on the NHL, and, and that all goes without saying, and so it speaks for itself. But for me personally, the, the thing that kept motivating me and, and pushing me every time we'd run into what seemed like a roadblock or, or an obstacle was that, you know, when I was 19, I was in a car accident. Um, and I, I, I didn't realize it, but I suffered an injury to my back, uh, to my lower spine. And over the course of the next year, it sort of uh, deteriorated to the point where I needed to have a surgery. Uh, and then I, I ended up having three surgeries over the course of six years. So kind of through all that time, uh, you know, frustrated, you're 19, 20, 21, 22, et cetera, uh, you should be doing college things, you should be having fun and parties and all that. And instead, I was, you know, having surgery and physical therapy and, you know, watching three movies a day, depending on if the wings or the tigers were on. Um, <laughs> and so, he, Vladdy, he kind of his perseverance through his injury 
was always inspiring. And then when Christmas, my grandparents got me tons of teenagers. Um, and it was sort of a light bulb moment that was like, okay, what I'm going through sucks and it, it's, it's not mm-hmm. great, but Vladdy went through so much worse and, you know, he persevered through it. And if he can do it, so can I. So that, you know, that was sort of the moment that like crystallized. It's like, I can get through this. I can get back to my dream of becoming a filmmaker and kind of, I guess, subconsciously followed it away of like, this is a story I need to tell as my first feature length documentary. That, wow. <laughs> that, that puts a lot into perspective right there as well, too, which I'm sure a lot of people will be interested to find out because it's obviously something that, that is a main story, too, is it? and we'll get to that later, too, about the accident and how, you know, the realization yeah. behind it. So, you know, you, you told me that you reached out to a lot of different people, and it seems like it was a lot of positive feedback. Was this one of those things that, I want to say the word easy, but with so much positive feedback, <laughs> getting people to buy into the idea of saying, yeah, I'll do it, of course. There was nothing easy about this, uh, but um, surprisingly, actually, that was one of the easier parts, which, mm-hmm. you know, and it took it took kind of getting legitimized, and I, it, sure. I don't think that happened until Igor Larionov saw a teaser trailer that I cut together. Uh, you know, when I pitched people, you know, Jim Lights, Ken Holland, Jimmy Devilano, they were all super on board just based on the idea and, and my my determination to do it. You know, Igor is someone who, you know, this is his legacy. And so he, when I first met him and pitched him, he was like, let's talk about it. And then we played phone tag and text tag for like two or three months. And I started getting worried that, you know, it was going to slip away. So we cut this teaser based on a couple of tr- uh, interviews that we shot uh, during the Winter Classic when I had a chance mm-hmm. to pitch these guys. Uh, pulled a bunch of footage off of YouTube, sent it to him, and, and you know, within a couple hours, he had sent back the, the rights agreement. So, you know, I think once Igor legitimized it and said, okay, I'm in, that helped a lot. You know, what also helped is that this is an important story, an important moment in all of these guys' lives. And I, and I say that not just in their careers, but in their, their lives as people. Um, through the process of playing for the Stanley Cup and eventually winning the Stanley Cup and then what happened six days later, like these guys formed a bond that they will share for the rest of their lives. Um, and it means so much to them. So I think once they realized that we were going to do our best to do justice to the story, it made it a lot easier for them to want to participate. Man, that... <laughs> Well, you answered my next question, which is even better. I'm glad <laughs> the way you answered it right there was perfect. So so going through this now, too, because there was, I'm sure so much you wanted to talk about with each person, what was the preparation like for preparing to interview these players and to prepare to interview everyone? You know, What was that process like of putting it together? It's like, I want to make sure we cover this, this, and this, and making sure you did that. Yeah, no, that's actually a great question. First time I've been asked it. Um, <laughs> I, I knew what I wanted the story to be. You know, the plot points were there. It's history. Um, you know, it's my job to find a, a way to make them work in a dramatic arc. But so I, I knew what our broad strokes were. Um, and then I also, depending on each interview, kind of picked like, what are the sweet spots where this specific person's perspective will be the most impactful for, so for Stevie, uh, Iserman, you know, it was like, well, we have to cover the Dead Wings era with him. Right. And I have to really dig into the initial years of Russians coming over because he was the captain and he was one of the few guys who was there through the whole process. And then obviously we have to talk about the, the cup. 
and we have to talk about you know what that meant and then the limo accident and the and the the press conference that he had to give and you know whereas someone like chris draper it's uh, let's focus on what watching the russian five meant to him and then the colorado brawl mm-hmm. um but we it's the you know i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the brawl with stevie because that scene's perspective should be more about Darren and Brendan and Igor who were on the ice, you know. So uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it sort of became a, a sort of chess strategy of figuring out who can give me what, um, how much do I need from them. And then, of course, once you sit down with them, the reality is, is these guys are all super, super busy uh, <laughs> right. professionals, you know. Most of them are still in hockey. So it's how do I get through all everything that I want and the amount of time that they're willing to give me. Uh-huh. Um so, you know, Igor, we had all day. And, and Igor actually sat down for almost four hours with wow. me. The, you know, with a, with a break in between. Sure. But, um, but like Sergei Fedorov, he was in between meetings. And, you know, when I actually sat him down, he asked me, you know, what's this going to take, like 20 minutes? And it, we flew to Moscow to interview Sergei and both Slava. So I was like, no, Sergei, <laughs> I need a bit more than that. Um, and I had, you know, 10 pages of questions. Right. So luckily, Sergey sat for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. uh, but I still would have loved another 30, 40 minutes with him. Um, and then once you get into the interview, you kind of strategize how it's going and, and how receptive they are to certain avenues and questions. And then you just, you know, pursue those lines. You figure out when you maybe are coming up to a point where if I keep pushing this idea, they're going to shut down and either mm-hmm. end the interview or the rest of the interview is just not going to be very good. And so you know, you gotta decide, you know, am I going to keep asking Sergey about the limo accident or am I going to move on kind of thing? So, right now that, that makes perfect sense. And so you mentioned the winter classic and uh, luckily I was able to be there and covered the alumni game at, at Comerica park and everything. And, me growing up, because originally from Michigan, I grew up a Red Wings fan and moved to Nashville and obviously started following the Predators a little bit too, but I wigged out when I was able to be in a scrum with Sergey Fedorov and Steve Heiserman and, and things like that, so it was pretty neat. Did you have any of those moments yeah. where you're going, holy crap, I'm talking to this player? <laughs> uh, you know, Scotty Bowman, yes. Mm-hmm. And Scotty was the first interview we did. Um, and it was terrifying, and it was... Uh, it, I was drenched in sweat afterwards and I was, yeah, I just felt like it was like a bull run. I was just trying to hang on and not fall off because, you know, Scotty's notorious for not answering a question that you ask and answering it in the way that he feels like answering. Um, and I'll give you an example. I, I wanted to warm him up and I asked him, you know, what's your background with Soviet hockey? Uh, hoping that I would get a piece of information that was good to establish why he knew about the Russian five, that they would be so successful. And I got a, a seven and a half minute history lesson about, you know, the 1970 Soviet team's third line left winger. Um, and, it, you know, Scotty's got an encyclopedia of knowledge and he, he dug into it, but it was like, I can't use any of this. And I also can't interrupt him and be like, Scotty, this is great, but I, I can't use it because he's fucking Scotty Bowman, you know? Um, <laughs> But once I got through that, I realized like that I didn't have the luxury of time to like geek out about these guys mm-hmm. being, you know, these heroes that we all looked up to. Um, it, I li- literally just had to treat it as a job. And, mm-hmm. you know, Steve Eiserman sitting down 
I want an hour and a half for him. He thinks he's only got an hour. How do I get as much of what I can get and hopefully keep him in the chair? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's all I'm thinking about at that moment. Um, And then, you know, afterwards, after he leaves, after you break down the set, you're like, wow, we just had the captain here for (laughs) almost two hours. You know, that's pretty cool. Um, But in the moment, you just don't, you don't have time. Sure. No, the job has, has got to be done. And so kind of going into the, the film side and nerding out a little bit too and, and looking at perspectives and what you wanted backgrounds to be in settings and, and aspect ratio, things like that. What were some of your main plans in terms of were you really overthinking of the setting for some of these interviews and what you wanted them to be like or was it wherever we can get them, we can get them? How much thought process was going into what you wanted to look like behind the, the interviews and things like that? A lot of it, unfortunately, and I would have loved to have had the luxury of time and an ability to, um, you know, plan a lot more, but a lot of instances it was, we got this guy. Well, mm-hmm. so Stevie, it was, he called me Sunday night or he texted me Sunday saying, Hey, if you still want to do it, I'm in town. Let's do it. Um, but you got to find a place and it was Sunday night. So it's like, well, <laughs> I don't know where we're going to find a, a place Sunday night. Like, if this, if I had more of the time, I could just call up anywhere in Detroit, say, yeah, I want to bring Steve Eiserman in for an interview and they open their doors, but everything's closed. So, you know, we brought him to our studio and we got a decent shot, but you know, it's, it's not something with the Joe in the background or, right. you know, at the Joe, with the scoreboard on the background, which would have been my, my dream shot. Um, that said, you know, you, you try to work with the best that you have and you try to find a, a aesthetically pleasing shot um i feel like for the most part we succeeded there's mm-hmm. a couple of shots that i still cringe at but i also <laughs> know that they're like just products of the situation and, and you know you do what you can sure no i understand i'm always just curious about that too because something i'm trying to train myself to be better at is thinking what's behind the person that i'm interviewing uh so so now, yeah. look, looking into the fan perspective, I know it just, there's a few things I've read, so many you know, interviews and reviews and everything, too, with Jeff Daniels and the locker room interview that he had as well. That's a really unique yeah. perspective to have is a celebrity that was also a fan, a season ticket holder, a guy like that, too, give his perspective and reflecting back on this. Just what was that like to get him in there and to interview him and have his thoughts on something like this from a fan perspective? Well, I knew that, you know, because in my, in my perspective, the fans are as much of a part of this story as the Russian five mm-hmm. and the guys on the ice. I think like sport is about community and what made the Red Wings so special and made going to a playoff game of Joe Lewis arena so special in that era was the vibe, right? It was the fact that there's 20,000 people who are just ready to explode and everyone's there for the same reason, which is to cheer on their team. Um, and like you could be on any place on the political spectrum, the religious spectrum, uh, et cetera. But for one night, we're all Red Wings fans. And, and so to me that, you know, and I think that there's some subtext of this, that philosophical idea with throughout the film of just coming together. And so I was like, all right, I got to get a fan. Uh, I found the footage of Jeff Daniels uh, digging through archives. And I was like, oh, can we get him? He's a Michigan guy. Uh, our producer, Keith Gave, sent an email to the Purple Rose Theater, and it kind of just went unanswered for, like, almost a year. And as we were wrapping up shooting, Jeff's assistant, or Jeff, I can't remember which, wrote us back, like, hey, 
sorry, I missed this. Is still interested. So I drove out to Chelsea with the crew, uh, sat him down, and it, you know, it was funny because I did not get any time to really talk to him one on one beforehand. Kind of you know build a little bit of rapport, so it makes doing an interview so difficult with that. And he was a little uh, difficult with with me in that sense. And uh, okay. there were lines of questioning that I wanted to go down that he wasn't really interested in. And and, um, and so it was you know actually one of the tougher interviews that we did, yeah. uh, though he gave me amazing stuff. Um, and then after we broke broke down the the, the shot and. We're just sort of shooting the shit afterwards. Uh, I'm like, you know, Jeff, actually in college, I was in a production of Escanaba and the Moonlight. Um, and the next thing you know, we're like hitting it off and he's telling me all these stories. And I was like, um, if only I would have had that moment to tell him that before the interview, it would have been a hundred percent different, you know? And it was like, that's part of documentary filmmaking is, you know, expect the unexpected and try to be prepared. And, you know, my plan was to try to cut him, cut him off in the lobby of where we were at to talk to him about it. But mm-hmm. I went in to check to make sure the shot was ready. And I turned around and there, there was Jeff. And, <laughs> you know, as he saw that the shot was ready as a pro, he's like, all right, let's do it. So, yeah, it was a great experience. And I'm looking forward to him seeing the movie. Uh, he hasn't seen it yet because oh. he's on Broadway. and He's doing it like a, a, at least a show, maybe two shows every day. Wow. Uh, just crazy crazy busy yeah so good thing you're able to get him there too so that, switching gears a little bit to, to obviously the serious part and, and what's obviously a focus of the film too is the accident and everything uh, yeah and i know it's difficult to approach with some of them because it was each one has a different reaction and emotional connection and feel to it of how they've gone through the process as well so how did you approach this subject matter and knowing how difficult an event it was for not just for the organization for the players for the for everybody so how did you approach it during the interviews you know, at first I made the mistake of just doing the interviews chronologically, you know, mm-hmm. starting with the Russians coming or, or if, you know, it's like Joe Kosher starting with the Dead Wings um, and working my way towards, you know, the end of the story. And I realized that that wasn't effective because when we were talking about the parade, um, everyone's demeanor started to change. And so we actually don't really get into the. You don't see anyone in the film talk about the parade specifically because a lot of those responses were sort of colored by the knowledge of whoever was saying it, that the next question I was about to ask was about the limo accident. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, they used to get tense and everyone would just get kind of, you know, they knew it was coming. And, you know, Sergei broke down, Sergei shut down that line of questioning. He was like, I, you know, in the film, you see him say something along the lines of like, I'm not crazy about this question about limo accident. And what we don't had time to include in the film was the rest of the statement, which was, you know, it's just like, sorry, guys, you know, it's, I knew you were going to ask me this and I tried to prepare myself, but it's just still not going away. It's mm-hmm. still too hard. Um, and like, I could see that. I could see the pain on his face. And then when I asked him a follow-up question about the fan response, uh, he started to actually tear up and you know, he was already late for his meeting, so I, at that point, I was like, okay, if I keep pushing this, mm-hmm. I think he's going to shut down on me completely. Um, John Wharton, you know, his job was to be at the hospital with Vladimir Konstantinov um, just as the, the team 
trainer and liaison with the medical professionals. And so like for him, it was extremely emotional um, to talk about it. And actually while we were doing this interview, there was like some distracting noises going on when we were talking about this. And John just was like so frustrated because he didn't want to talk about it. And he, he just wanted to like rip it off like a bandaid. And every time we tried to rip it off, we're like, sorry, hold, we, we have to hold for the sound. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, but it's the heart of the emotional, or I should say it's the emotional heart of the story and that what these guys all went through together, um, becoming a family, which was the key to them winning the Stanley Cup. And it, they felt like family to us, you know, as fans to have one of your family members, you know, in a situation where you're not sure if he's going to live or die. Um, it's really heavy and it's, it's traumatic and it's, you know, the, the Red Wings, that that team could have gone one of two ways. They could have let that tragedy really just break their spirits and and just, you know, they could have folded the next season and missed the playoffs, distracted, and, and the, missing one of the best defensemen uh, in the league at the time, and maybe to ever play the game. But instead, because they had become a family, they, re- they rallied around their fallen brother and they responded as a family and they said, we're going to win it for him. And so you see that, and I don't think it's a coincidence that there's only, you know, they're one of two back-to-back Stanley Cup champions in like 30 years almost. Um, and it's, winning the Stanley Cup is really, really hard. And I think without, without that emotional drive to go back to it, it, I don't know that it's possible, you know. It's, or it's extremely mm-hmm. difficult. No, no, absolutely. And and so now for you as, as a filmmaker, I mean, this – what does it mean to you to have this story being told and you being the one to be able to accomplish that and then getting recognized? I mean, it's winning awards at, at film festivals and it's now it's touring the country and it's going to all these different cities. So just, I know it's hard for people to talk about themselves sometimes, but for you, what does it mean that you've been able to, after all these years, almost seven years now, be able to see it from idea to fruition that people are seeing this and enjoying this film? It's cool. You know, it's, it's I don't know that any of that still hit me yet because we're so deep in it and every time I think that I have a moment to to start to take a breath and, and put my life back together like a normal person uh, we open up 12 cities on a, on a weekend it's like oh alright we're back into it already <laughs> um, but the fact that we're opening 12 cities this weekend is incredible because it means that people want to see this movie um, and it means that there's an interest and that interest is, is being driven by the fans who, uh, whether they've seen the trailer or they just want to see the story are asking for it. And that's just humbling to me. The response has been humbling. Um, you know, the awards are humbling. The 99% on Rotten Tomatoes is humbling. Um, and for me, like, I, I made this movie because of Vladimir Konstantinov inspired mm-hmm. me to, to keep pushing through my personal injury and surgeries and, and life difficulties, situations, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so Vladdy has been at both of our premieres, our world premiere last April, and then he was at our theatrical premiere in March. And I got to sit with him to watch the theatrical premiere in March and to watch his face light up <laughs> when he watched it and was able to relive the, the glory moments when he was who he is um, was incredible. And then when we are the champions started playing in the movie, he started singing it. And 
I got man tears, right? Like oh, it man. was really, really emotional. And actually I had to like leave the box that we were all sitting in and, and go compose myself because it was so emotional. Um, so, and, and his daughter told Darren McCarty later on that when Vladdy watches this film, it puts him in his happy place. Oh. Um, so, you know, Scotty loves the movie, Darren loves the movie, Igor loves the movie, Slava Fatisov loves the movie, Ozzy loves the movie, Draper loves the movie, um, Malpy loves the movie, I'm trying to think who else has seen it. Brendan Shanahan loves it. That's all cool, that's all great, but the fact that something that I made in inspiring and moving the person who inspired me is, like, that's kind of the special magic of cinema, I think. Um, and that's really, really cool, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity to do that. Oh, no, that, that is fantastic, when, especially when the person that inspired you to do it enjoys it like that. It's just, uh, that's, words can't even describe that. So uh, I really do hope so many folks here in Nashville and all around the country where it's going to be at go out and see it. And I, people keep asking, so I, I'd be adept if I didn't. So after it tours the country, will it be released yeah. eventually on DVD, Blu-ray? <laughs> Yeah, it'll so it'll be iTunes first, okay. uh, and iTunes is coming up next month. Actually, cool. um, uh, we should have a pre-release, a pre-order within the week. Actually, um, wow, okay, it, uh, yeah, we you know, so that'll be exciting. And then yeah, it'll be out on DVD and Blu-ray, and who knows? You know, hopefully <laughs> we'll get it up on Netflix yeah. or you know TV and all that stuff with a. We want everyone to be able to see this, you know, mm-hmm. not just hockey fans. And I think that's the, that's one of the coolest things that uh, I've in, like really appreciated is my team and I and my incredible editor, David Fabello, um, we spent a lot of time and, and care crafting a story that we thought would appeal to people who don't know anything about hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, and the response so far has, has confirmed that that was a success. Um, cause I didn't want to make just a hockey film. Uh, I wanted to make a film about what these five special human beings went through and, and how they impacted all these other human beings that we grew up and cared about. And, and, you know, human stories are, are what interests me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hope that we can reach not just hockey fans. I hope people in Nashville who are hockey fans, bring their friends who don't care about hockey and at the end of it they all have something to talk about and they've introduced them to a sport you know we sh- we showed up the film out in seattle international film festival last mm-hmm. may and uh i was leaving the first screening and i was walking behind these two little, two little old ladies <laughs> and i was eavesdropping on the conversation and it turned out that the only reason they went and saw it was because it was the only thing that had fit their film festival schedule at that moment. <laughs> um, and the first one was like, what did you think? And the second one was like, I loved it. And the first one was like, I had never even watched hockey before, but I think I'm a fan now. <laughs> and like to, to excite these two little old ladies was like, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's cool to like, get the Red Wings fans and the, you know, the tough burly dude from down river. Who's like, sure. yeah, I love it. That's awesome. But to get these two little old 70 year old women from Seattle, uh, to enjoy the sport of hockey, which we already know is one of the best sports around. If not the most, I mean, it's the most fun sport to watch live in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's pretty cool, you know? And so hopefully we can keep it, keep having that experience. 
Well, that, that's that's extremely inspirational. It makes me even more excited to see it just talking with you. And I can't thank you enough for taking 30 minutes. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to go that long, but yeah. for taking that much time to speak with me on this. And I can't wait to share the interview with everybody. And just thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This is this speaks right to my childhood as well, how I grew up when I moved to Nashville. And I had to move away from being able to watch the team I enjoy playing, watching my idols play, and had to go through newspaper clippings because it was the yeah. 90s and everything. So thank yeah, you for helping tell us. NHL <laughs> streaming and all that. Yeah. So thank you from from a hockey fan well, to you. So thank you for telling the story. You're welcome. Thank you for you know talking to me and, and all the support. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, it, in a weird way, kind of making this film reminds us of trying to win the Stanley Cup, which mm-hmm. is like... <laughs> you can't do it without a great team in place and you can't do it without the fan support and people cheering you on and supporting you and, and telling everyone else this is this is something worth its time and energy to watch because i mean that's what as a filmmaker you you want people to see the movie in the theaters together right mm-hmm. and so you know people have a chance so hopefully they take it up and yeah i just appreciate it so thank you